going to be jumping around just a little bit today, so if you'd like, I invite you to open a Bible or pull it up on your phone or whatever your preferred method is. Sometimes when I'm flipping channels, I come across um, one of these shows where collectors are looking for stuff that they can buy in order to restore it and resell it. And the stuff they find is usually not much to look at to the untrained eye. It's usually something like an old sign, or old toys, maybe even an old car. Something that had a purpose at one point, but at this point in its existence, it's essentially junk to most people. It's at the low point of its existence, and it's usually found in a desolate place like an attic, or a basement, or a garage, and when the restorers find it, despite its appearance, they immediately start talking about the possibilities, what they can do to it, what it can look like, how much it's going to go for, things like that. Despite where they're finding it, despite where in the timeline of this thing's existence that they're encountering it. Today we're looking at the Old Testament lectionary passage for this week, plus a couple of verses from the prophet Jeremiah as we begin our season of Advent. And Advent's a time where we remember Israel's waiting for the Messiah to recognize our waiting for Jesus' return. And in our passage today, we come across a promise of God given to Judah that finds them in arguably the lowest point of their existence. And yet it shows them a vision of hope well beyond their current reality. In this place, God gives them a promise of restoration to a reality much greater than their current one. So what does this promise mean for a people in the middle of the darkest chapter of their history? And what does it have to say to us, maybe even in our dark places thousands of years later? Now, to understand this promise and its importance, we first have to look at the big picture in Jeremiah. Jeremiah is a vivid book of prophecy that speaks to Judah during and around the time of probably their lowest point in history. If you remember, over the summer, we went through First and Second Samuel, which kind of lead up to what many recognize to be Israel's golden age under King David, which maybe even extends into Solomon's reign, the reign of his son. But soon after or rather, after Solomon's reign, because of their sin, the kingdom is split into the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah. Eventually, Israel is judged, and they're taken over by the Assyrian Empire. About a century and a half later, Judah finds itself in the same position. Now, Jeremiah himself prophesied over a Significantly large span of time, starting from around the time of King Josiah and his reform, which was intended to bring Israel, or Judah, back to God, to turn away from their wickedness. And unfortunately, it didn't stick. And they go back to their old ways. And so much of Jeremiah's ministry prophesies the impending judgment coming in the form of Babylon's conquest 
of Judah and the deportation of its people to Babylon. And because the judgment is not immediate, as you read the book, Jeremiah gains a lot of enemies, including powerful people like the rulers and the priests. He also has a rivalry with false prophets who claim that Judah will be safe, that there's no way God will allow judgment to come on the place where his temple is. And that, of course, is not the case. Instead, as prophesied, the Babylonians show up. They sack Jerusalem, they take the king captive, and they deport the residents to Babylon, beginning a 70-year exile for the people of Judah because they didn't turn away from their idolatry as Jeremiah told them to. And Jeremiah's prophecies span from before their judgment to looking even beyond their judgment as to what God will do with his people, which is what our passage for today speaks to. And in the course of Jeremiah's ministry, he's eventually arrested, confined to the courtyard of the guard of the royal palace, where he continues to prophesy. And yet, right alongside Jeremiah's preaching, the destruction of Jerusalem, telling people that it's coming, he looks beyond the judgment. And he prophesies hope before their judgment is even complete. So as he's under arrest in the court of the guard, even as the Babylonians are laying siege to Jerusalem, he gives this promise that we read today. And it tells us important things to keep in mind, particularly during our Advent season. As we look at the message with the surrounding chapter, we can see in Jeremiah's message that first God promises to restore If you read the whole chapter, before our passage, at the beginning of the chapter, there's a bleak picture painted by God, talking about what's going on. He talks of houses and buildings being torn down, showing the desperation of people trying to reinforce the wall so that the Babylonians can't come through. And God says that those buildings will be filled with those slain in his wrath. And yet when you get to verse 6, he says, nevertheless... I will bring health and healing to it. I will heal my people and will let them enjoy abundant peace and security. I will bring Judah and Israel back from captivity and I will rebuild them as they were before. If you go back to the passage we read in verse 16, it says, In those days Judah will be saved and Jerusalem will live in safety. And so in the midst of Babylon breaking down the door, in the midst of the desolation of a siege and the impending doom that comes with it, God speaks hope. It's interesting that this promise comes before the siege is even complete, before Judah is even exiled. Before the judgment is finished, God has already made plans to restore them. That's how God's love works. God makes moves toward us, maybe even in our rebellion, and makes plans to restore us before we even make moves toward Him. 
That's grace. And the restoration that God speaks of, it's physical. He speaks of the city and the temple being rebuilt, but it's more than that. Jeremiah has already lived through one failed reform by a righteous king, only to see wickedness take over and bring judgment on Judah. And so the question remains, are they going to be built up just to be toppled over again? And if you look at the timeline of the city of Jerusalem, one might say so, at least in the physical sense. Because a few centuries later, the temple is destroyed again, even after it's rebuilt. But in the ultimate sense, the answer is no. Because they are going to be restored spiritually as well. Because God promises a righteous reign to come. If we look at our passage again, it says, In those days and at that time I will make a righteous branch sprout from David's line. He will do what is just and right in the land. In those days, Judah will be saved, and Jerusalem will live in safety. This is the name by which it will be called the Lord, our righteous Savior. And these verses promise the rule of the Messiah, a ruler from the line of David that will rule righteously and bring prosperity and security. And it's significant that the words are being prophesied even in the midst of David's dynasty being destroyed. As Jeremiah is recording the prophecy, as we said, eventually Jerusalem is sacked, the king is captured, and the people exile. And so as they're in exile, there is a waiting for this ruler, the Messiah. And we recognize the fulfillment of these words when Jesus comes to earth and inaugurates his kingdom. The message that he preached, the kingdom of God. That's why after the exile, when Jerusalem and the temple are rebuilt, the people are still waiting. And it's that waiting that we remember, an appropriation of our current waiting for Jesus to return and bring his kingdom in its fullness. But while we wait, the kingdom is still here now. We've talked about it being here and not yet. And so it is here now and advancing, even though it's not here yet in its fullness. And so we get to enjoy much of the benefits of Jesus' rule now. And a couple couple chapters before, Jeremiah speaks to that reality in chapter 31 when he says, The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. Judah. And skipping to verse 33, he says, This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel. After that time, declares the Lord, I will put my law in their minds. I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God, and they will be my people. As we will recognize as we celebrate the Lord's Supper together, Jesus brings the new covenant with his death and resurrection. Which is why he says, this is the new covenant in my blood. And that allows us to know his rule in our lives through the work and presence of the Holy Spirit. This is the reality that we live in now. That we work to spread now in the hope of the time when the whole world will be filled 
with the knowledge of God. And that will eventually become a permanent reality. Back in chapter 33, verses 20 and 21, it says, This is what the Lord says, If you can break my covenant with the day and my covenant with the night, so that day and night no longer come at their appointed time, then my covenant with David my servant and my covenant with the Levites who are priests ministering before me can be broken, and David will no longer have a descendant to reign on his throne. Essentially, if you can stop day and night from happening, then you can stop the promise of God. To be clearer, you cannot stop the promise of God. These words foreshadow Jesus bringing his reign, but also becoming our great high priest who makes atonement for our sins, that we may be forgiven and have relationship with God, as spoken of more directly in the book of Hebrews. And so, as we said, the restoration is is both physical, but there's also the fuller spiritual one as well. This is the reality that we are invited into in exchange for our desolate places. This promise comes to Judah as people are being punished for their sin. And as people like Jeremiah are experiencing the fallout of other people's sin. And in this promise, God offers to exchange our way of doing things with the righteous and restorative rule of Jesus Christ. Advent recognizes our waiting, but our waiting is not passive. It calls us to look for that rule to look to see where God is at work now, in the here and now, in the hope of knowing it in its fullness when Jesus returns. And in any number of ways, you may be observing the desolate wake of sin in your life. Maybe it's the sin of others. Maybe you've been wounded by other people's actions, maybe abused. Maybe you still bear the scars Maybe you've been lied to or betrayed and still struggle to build relationships of any kind. Or maybe you've been cut down by words that still echo in your head and you can't shake. Or maybe you bear the weight of collective sin. Maybe the collective failure of the greater church or our nation or our species weighs on you as you examine the evil going on in the world. Or perhaps you have self-inflicted wounds. Maybe you've lost friends or family because of how you've treated them. Or maybe you're guilt-stricken because of how you've trampled on others for your own gain. Or you might even bear the physical fallout of your own personal vices. All of these and more are places of desolation that we can invite Jesus into in the here and now to restore us, to restore our world. Jesus' reign offers freedom and restoration from these places and a way of living that lets others know the same. Some of the most impressive restored items I've seen are the cars. Any old car that sits is going to collect rust and dust. 
I even, I can remember personally being at a car show where I saw classic car after classic car in conditions that they didn't come in, even off the factory line. The collectors, they restore them. They put their energy, their creativity into it. And so they have a shinier paint job. They have higher performance, a higher value than they even had rolling off the line when they were first made. Their current reality is greater even than their original one because of the care of the restorer. That's the kind of restoration God wants to give us in place of our places of desolation. He plans to give us a greater reality than what we even started with. As Jeremiah's words preach to a people under attack and later in exile, we can recognize and cling to God's promises now, even in the midst of our imperfect lives or our imperfect world where many things might be wrong and even devastating. This Advent, as we remember our waiting, let's recognize that God promises to restore us and our world holistically and exchange our sinful ways for his righteous rule that the world may know him. That's a promise we can hold on to even now and one that we can let change our lives. Let's continue worshiping with the Lord's Supper. The servers may come forward.